Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome back to What to Say When Things Get Tough, a podcast dedicated to helping you communicate more effectively in difficult situations, both professional and personal. I'm your host, Leonard S. Greenberger. It's good to be back after a two-week break, and I'm very pleased to bring you the first part of a three-part interview with Sherry Singer, president of Singer Communications. Sherry and I go way back and share a passion for communication and, in particular, for the trade association world. We were off and running the moment Sherry entered the Zoom room, and after almost 10 minutes, I finally remembered to hit the record button, so you'll be joining our interview already in progress today. And then about eight minutes in, I finally stopped to officially welcome Sherry. And the interview went so long that I decided to break it up into three parts. I hope you enjoy part one today, and please check back tomorrow for part two, and again next Wednesday for part three. They were the ones, I think way more than businesses, they just adapted and changed and embraced technology like they hadn't before and kind of went, you know, had to flip some things around, but kind of have done business as usual. Yeah, that's one thing I've heard and thought myself, if there was ever a sense, and I think there was a perception out there that nonprofits, associations, well, it's kind of a quiet world, it's laid back, they can't move, you know, don't move as quickly as corporations do to react to things. I think one good thing I hope has come out of this is that's just simply not true. That's 100% correct. That is simply not true. I mean, ASAE in like three weeks managed to pull off one of their major meetings virtually. You know, was it technically great? No, not really. <laughs> but, but they were able to do it, you know, and have some assemblance. And I think their registration went from 800 to 1,000 to, to 14,000 people at MMCC last year because they offered it free. So that's also potential into membership, right? right. So, I mean, you don't want to do that this year, next year and, and beyond, but it's not such a bad thing to do that, to expose people to your association for potential membership. The big examples you pointed is shifting almost on a dime, particularly to those groups who's had big meetings in the spring, you know, in the May, June timeframe before we, anybody really knew what was going on and we were all just still scared, but at the point terrified, how quickly they moved to make adjustments. They're also just in the way the revenues and sponsorships and other things, donations, other things, the the way they change things around. To me, it's, I hope ASAE, I'm sure ASAE is looking into one, some way of celebrating and demonstrating what a success story associations have been in this in this climate. But. Yeah, I hope so too. I'm still hearing these doom and gloom rumors, but I will just say that 
the research that I did does not bear out the doom and gloom, even with the smaller associations. And a lot of associations are doing, I think, smart things like working from home and going virtually 100% and getting rid of their offices. Because honestly, if you're paying $5,000 in downtown DC per month for your office and you get rid of it, you could host your board at the Willard you know, for, for the amount of money you're saying, still have money in your pocket, you know? And so I, I think this idea that you have to have a physical office is going for a lot of associations by the wayside. So, and I think that's smart too. I think you're right. And by the way, I'm, I'm going to hit record because I know, I saw started, it. It, it, we're, I'm, we're missing out on a whole lot of great content here potentially. Okay. So let me hit that, but, and I'll, I'll sort of go back and start, but I did want to say in response to that, that I think not just associations, but I've said this to many people over the months, it's almost since it began, that there's one business I would not want to be in, it's commercial real estate. As I think ultimately all the ones, the hardest hit, the travel industry, particularly and everything that means, planes and trains and uh, restaurants, and hotels, that will come back at some point, people, once it's safe, people are going to do it again because they enjoy it so much. I don't know why a company that maybe even prior to this happening had never given any thought to the possibility or ever thought they could do it remotely. They've now proven that they can. Why would they want to put the second biggest expense on their books back on their books? I, I It's not a business I would I'm glad I'm not in it. I would say that 50% of associations are saying they're going to return to, and that's been borne out. There was somebody that did a survey recently, Cecilia Sapp, and it was mostly smaller associations, which surprised me mm -hmm. um, that they would go back because if you have only one or two people, why can't you do virtual? I mean, you know, it's not like you're trying to get a group of 10 in a room, you know, and not only that, but it was interesting because on one of the calls that we do communications Rob Lee from ASAE was saying yeah we're we're everybody has to go in like one day a week and but we're limiting the size how many people can meet in our conference room we're closing all the smaller conference rooms so there only can be two or three people in a very large conference room so you're 20 feet from them anyway you know and he said if you go into a common area you have to have a mask on you kind of have to distance because we're way better off using zoom like, why are we even putting people in the office? So I just, I feel like, I just think it's, people aren't thinking, you know, they're so wedded to the old model, I think, is what it is. And that model may not work in the future, especially when people are trying to make smarter financial business decisions. And I agree with you on, you know, I, I know the head of BOMA because he's an old PR guy. I knew him years ago from PRSA in DC and that's buildings and operations managers association, something like that. And then yeah. the other one is NAOP, right? Isn't that commercial real estate? Yeah, National Association. Yeah, National, yeah. Builders, yeah. No, no, NAOP, N-A-I-O-P. So it's oh, National okay. Association of Industrial and Office Parks is what they used to be. But mm -hmm. now they're just known as NAOP because they're just commercial real estate across the board. Oh. And actually a friend of mine works there and I'm actually talking to her next week. I'm kind of, it's just a check-in, like a regular check-in, but I'm kind of curious to know like what's going on there because I have heard other, I do have three or four friends in the association world who are looking for jobs. And it's interesting because 
they were all laid off like around the same time. So it was not in March, April or May. It was during the summer. So I'm not even sure how, why that would happen because I think most people, most associations are on a calendar year. So it seemed really odd to me that they were making 10% budget cuts like across the whole organization in, in the middle of the summer. I guess maybe it's lost revenue from conferences. I don't know. It could be anticipatory, you know, looking ahead. I will have to say that a lot of the groups I've worked with, I, I, I wouldn't even say a majority or calendar year. I would say a majority or probably not. A lot on the government fiscal okay. year. Oh, yeah, like September to September. So maybe yeah. they were- the Summertime is budget time. Yeah. yeah. I, I, the ones that I know, the two issues they're having is worry about membership. Not necessarily that the membership is dipping, but worried about the membership dipping and uh, sponsors. Right. And that's for meetings. Mm -hmm. So when you have a meeting and you have a press room and the press room sponsored by Dow Chemical, I'm just making this up. You know, they you don't have a press room if you're having a virtual meeting, so they're not giving you the same right. sponsorship opportunities. So. I know there are people like Bruce Rosenthal who specialize in that sponsorship. I think Scott Oser does some of that too. But, you know, in the real world, if you're not having a meeting, there aren't as many sponsorship opportunities. I think those people who have created those sponsorship opportunities are smart because you could have every one of your sessions sponsored. Why not? Just have them all sponsored. And if it's like, if it's ASAE and it's like a marketing communication section sponsor, Go to somebody who would sponsor that, not like your company, you know, and say, would you sponsor this? You just have to look at it in a different way. And I don't think that associations, in my experience, my limited knowledge, I don't think they've done that. Yeah, I know. Well, I've, the couple I've been, I've been to virtual meetings and I thought that there were some clever ways that they've incorporated sponsorships. I'm on a, I'm an, oh, okay, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Normally at this point, I would welcome our guest, uh, Sherry Singer to the podcast, but in this case, I'm gonna welcome the podcast to our guest because Sherry and I know each other so well. I started recording this episode about 15 minutes ago and I have not had a chance until this point to step in and say welcome and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. And we'll get back to, fortunately I have a lot of the good information that you've shared, the conversation that we've had prior to this formal uh, beginning, and I'll, I can edit things so people wouldn't necessarily know that's the way it goes. But I wanted to just point out how well we know each other. We go back many years. We were both uh, very active, and Sherry continues to be with a group called the American Society of Association Executives, ASAE, which is where we met. I was trying to remember how many years ago now. It's probably close to 15. Yeah, I think that's right. So that is our origin story, which leads me to my first question for you, Sherry. I, I like to ask everyone, everyone I have on the podcast, tell me how you got into communications. So I was in college. My, I feel like my whole career has been like a comedy of errors, to be honest. And when I was in college, uh, I was with a bunch of people who were registering for classes and I had one more class to register and everyone else was ready to go and they were like, my friend turned to me and said, radio, television, film, register for that. So I turned around, I registered, that wound up being my major. And then I got into political communication, thought I was gonna specialize in that. And from there, 
decided no. And then I decided to do TV and radio and I did some internships, didn't like that. <laughs> so when I got out of school, I was kind of wondering where I was going to go. And I met someone who knew about associations, gave my resume to somebody who worked for an association. And my first job was as assistant editor for um, a magazine put out by the Door and Hardware Institute. And the interesting thing about that story is just last year, I was hired by the Door and Hardware Institute to do consulting with them. So my career was 10 years with associations, mostly as the director of communication. And then I wanted to learn the business side of things. So I went to work for public relations agencies, top tier agencies like Catchem Public Relations, where I was a senior executive working with Fortune 500 companies and you know the drill letters. <laughs> and, uh, and then when I started my own firm almost 20 years ago, I can't even believe it's been that long, I reverted back to working with associations because that's really where my heart and soul was. And that's what I decided I, I really, you know, I can step into any association. I've worked with maybe 75 of them as a consultant and on staff. And so I can, I can work with any type of association and step right in and kind of get the gist of what they're trying to do. Um, and communications has always been a natural for me. And I'm, you know, although I didn't know what I was doing in college, I'm so grateful for the opportunities to have worked for a radio station on air, to have worked for as a producer for a television show, to have worked in television news and radio news, because all of that kind of has been a great basis, a great foundation from which I was able to launch my career as an association communications professional. Well, there you go. We've known each other all this time. And I don't think I knew that you started your career at a magazine because so did I, a uh, trade publication in the energy industry, which is what eventually led me to my PR firm and, and sort of got me launched on my career. And it sounds like I like to say that I didn't pick my career. My career sort of picked me. And like you, I'm very well into it now, and but very happy you know, that this is where I wound up. Yeah, it's so interesting that um, I think those of us who really love what we do in communications, we, we you know, when people retire, because, you know, we're both getting a slightly older, not old, but slightly older. And I, I look at my friends who were retired, who were like counting the days and the months. And I'm like, I love what I do. I can't imagine not doing it. And I'm sure it's the same for you. It, it is absolutely. And we, my firm also did most of its work with trade associations up until I joined the firm. I hadn't, I technically hadn't worked for one uh, as a staff member, but I've certainly worked for them for 25 years, like you, all shapes and sizes, uh, many different issues, many different industries and sectors. And so this kind of brings us around now to where you and I started before I managed to hit the record button on the conversation. And we were chatting about all of the challenges that associations have faced this year, along with everybody else. Of course, we've, we focused on what the coronavirus has done, but there are other things I, that are out there that in other years would be considered crises that are, any association would face, but have perhaps been overwhelmed by COVID. And I wonder if we could talk a little bit about what some of the other challenges that you know associations are dealing with. Yeah, there. Um, so there's a lot going on. So there's the issue of 
COVID and then economic instability, you know, and that's, I would consider that it's sort of a direct result of COVID. But then we have the whole issue of diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, stemming from the May George Floyd incident and associations are really kind of scrambling, some of them, many of them, to really initiate DEI policy, to really bring people of diverse backgrounds to the, not just to the table, but to give them a voice and to ensure that association um, members are hearing that voice. And, um, and there's just been a lot about that within the association marketplace. And then additionally, we have a presidential election that fortunately at the time that we are recording this is four days away. And I don't know about you, but I'm really glad about that because if my phone rings one more time or I get one more text asking me for money or asking me to make calls, I'm gonna kind of scream. I'm in the same boat. I get, well, I, I, I don't like to get political on this podcast, although those who listen will, I think it's pretty clear what my where, where my uh, heart lies, but I will just say I have made donations over the course of the last six, eight months. And it's amazing to me how, even though what you read in the paper, particularly on the democratic side of things, how much money they have and almost more than they could possibly spend, it certainly has not stopped them from sending out requests for my for money. And as each day we get closer to the election, the more and more texts they seem to send. I agree. And also, um, you know, I contributed as well. And, you know, I think that just like let the let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, all of a sudden, once I made that contribution. And by the way, I voted early. I was one of the, I think it's, I think it's now, it, I, I can't believe these numbers. I just saw them this morning. More than 84 million people have voted in advance and it's 62% of everyone that voted in 2016 has voted early in this election. So the numbers are astounding. And regardless of what party you belong to, the idea that, you know, go out to vote obviously has resonated with the American public, which is a good thing. Yeah, that's definitely one, one good thing that's come out in the last four years is people are, people are engaged and we like to see that, uh, whatever side of the aisle you may sit. When it comes to how you see some of your clients, the association world generally responding to all of this, what are some of the things that come top to mind in terms of what they've done well to adjust to this next normal, as people are calling it? Yeah, um, and we're not going to use the word unprecedented in this podcast, right? Promise me we're not using that. <laughs> I promise. I, there, okay. I've read a lot about the, you know, the 1918 pandemic, so I know this isn't unprecedented. <laughs> Um, so one thing that associations have done exceptionally well is they have moved from in-person events to virtual events, and they've done it very quickly, and they've done it very effectively. There's a number of different models, like the model has not really emerged for how they're all going to be dealing with this. So some of them have offered free conferences. And I don't think that's a bad idea, particularly if they're interested in potentially getting the word about, out about who they are and increasing their membership numbers down the road. So that's kind of penny wise. It, 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 it makes sense for them to do that from the perspective that it's a short-term loss for a long-term gain. 
Um, and I applaud associations for doing that. I mean, I have this great story, I'll share it with you. So when I was the first director and it was with, the, with an association called the American Planning Association, mm-hmm. and it was way back in the day. So, and I did some things around their 10 year anniversary that made some money. And my boss comes to me and he sits down and he says, you know, this is the Washington office, Sherry. We don't make money. And I said, oh, okay, well, I didn't make that much money. You know, it was a few hundred dollars or whatever. He goes, I know, but you're making my other managers who are, you know, been here 20 years look bad. And I literally looked at him all of my 25 years of experience. And I said something like, I think you're sitting in the wrong office. And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, you should be talking to them. They should be making money, you know? And he like shook his head and got up and walked out. I wound up leaving that job. But my theory about associations are they're not just nonprofit associations. They have to somehow or another think like businesses. And, and so many of them, and in so many of the years I was involved in that, as that story illustrates, they're wedded to the status quo. They don't want things to change. But in this experience, I was just shocked to see how quickly associations were able to change and move and adapt and really get up to speed quickly. And as I said, there's no model for how these virtual events are being held. Some of them are free. Some of them, they're charging the full amount. Some are reduced amounts. Some are free if you're a member, a certain charge if you're not. But just the fact that they're putting these incredible programs together virtually really says a lot about their ability to adapt and change. And when it comes to communication challenges for associations, I mean, what are some of those that you've seen? Uh, obviously, the inability to meet face-to-face is, is ultimately a, a communications challenge, and going virtual is one response to that. But what, what others have you Well, so here's um, something that I was just in a webinar on this yesterday. You know, initially we all were like, Zoom, we'll all, we'll do everything by Zoom. And then we heard about Zoom fatigue and Zoom burnout. Um, And one issue with Zoom that doesn't necessarily happen in person is the fact that it's a different kind of connection. And a lot of times the way you connect, even with coworkers, let alone members and leaders who you don't know as well, has to do with your communication style and the way that style presents virtually, which is different than the way that style might present uh, in person. Because in person, you have nonverbal clues, you have body language. Here, you're just on Zoom, you're just seeing somebody from kind of the shoulders up. And you don't even know, I mean, it's great. You don't have to buy pants or put on pants anymore, but in a negative way, you still have that in between you and the other person is the computer screen. And that really doesn't allow you to connect in the same way you connect in person. And one of the things this speaker at this webinar was saying yesterday, and it's something that I have tried to do over the last three or four months in particular, knowing how tired everybody is of the, you know, Zoom after Zoom after Zoom meeting, is use the telephone. Remember that old fashioned thing that we used to use all the time? We did conference calls and, and the like. We can still use the telephone. There's no, um, she was saying that there's no gain from using Zoom. There's no additional gain as compared to using the phone. So it's usually if it's just me and someone else, they'll say, oh, what's the Zoom you know, link? And I'll say, well, since it's just the two of us, why don't we use phone the phone? And I find myself 
less tired at the end of the day if I'm using a combination of Zoom and the phone than I am just the phone. And I think that in terms of connecting, particularly with coworkers, but also with your members and leaders, you have to remember that everyone is being touched by all the crises that are going on. And we have four going on at the same time in different ways. Like for example, I reached out to somebody at ASAE and said, how are you doing? You know, just to start the conversation. And she said, well, I don't know if you knew this or not, but my dad passed away from COVID, right? So I didn't know that. And, you know, that's something that, but other people are dealing with, you know, less crisis oriented, you know, family crisis oriented things. Somebody may worry, be worried about job security. Somebody else might be worried about having kids at home when they're trying to work. Someone else might be worried about their elderly parents that are in a nursing home that they can't visit. So everybody's got so much on their plate. I think you really need to cut people some slack. And I also think that when you're communicating with people, you really need to ask them how they are and to stop and listen. It's not just how you're doing, you know, and move on. It's how are you? How are you doing today? How has your week been? And really listen to what they say because that's where you're going to get the connection point. And I think in this case, all communications that I just illustrated need to start with compassion and empathy and then go from there. Even if it's a business call in the most strict format, I think you're ahead of the game if you start with compassion and empathy. Thank you as always to Jim Cirillo of jimmyandgroup.com for our original music and CC Snetzinger for our original art. Please follow us on Twitter at hashtag WTSWTGT and submit any questions to WTSWTGT at gmail.com. Remember to join us tomorrow for part two of my interview with Sherry and next Wednesday for part three. And finally, always be positive. Brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.